Welcome to Con Langry, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, uh, in actually in a town somewhere near London is my lovely co-host Bianca Mangum. Hello, it's not actually near London. <laughs> you said it was near London. You said it was north of London. Yes. A little way. Okay. At least an hour by train. That's long ways in England. Oh, okay. Well, mm. <laughs> and uh, you just heard talking up in <laughs> the great state of Wisconsin. My Wisconsin. My, uh, <laughs> my Wisconsin William Kinnickly. <laughs> my very wise co-host William Ennis. Uh, I need see, to start... They changed it to Wisconsin just for you. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start thinking up different adjectives for both of you each time now. Oh, good. You can say the eternally grumpy. <laughs> oh, jeez. Anyway, so... What are we here to do? We're here to talk about language. And constructive are languages. We? And... And uh, uh, li- linguistic features and all that crap, right? Yep. I'm here to talk about cheese. Okay. Well, <laughs> you can talk about cheese, and I'll mute you while me and William talk about <laughs> linguistics. <sighs> uh. So this episode is going to be kind of a fun episode because we're talking about. Idiophones. And, um, idiophones, according to, um, uh, Mark Digamansa. I know, aren't Dutch names fun? I have no idea how to pronounce that. That's okay. We'll just call him the idiophone guy. He's Dutch, then it would be Digamansa, wouldn't it? And, uh, I don't know he, anything about Dutch. He's the idiophone, or he, he runs a blog called The Idiophone, and he has a very concise definition. Idiophones are marked words that depict sensory imagery. So, he goes, he goes more into the, the, uh, the, the detail, like, he says he, they're marked in that they stand out from other words. So an idiophone sounds different from other words for some reason. Or and, and they tend not to slot into the rest of the grammar of the language very well. Yeah. So the reason we're talking about idiophones is because I put it on the list. I have never been able to find a conlang that includes them except one of my sketches. <laughs> um, really? Um, I, I, before we started the show, or when we decided last week, hey, we'll do idiophones, I did a Google on conlang and idiophone, and I found my own language, which was disappointing. Yeah, that's really <laughs> sad, because they are so fun. So he has one of his posts that, I, that I'm that i going to link to in the show notes. You need to go to this, because it, there's a little bit of a visual element. He, the, there's some comics that... They're about these Japanese inf- idiophones that exist. Right. And so the first one, you have a picture of a lady who's going insane, and there's bugs crawling over her walls and her floor. And She's having a little freak out about it. Uh, this is a depiction of uh, Uja Uja, which describes, or Uja Uja. I'm trying to pronounce Japanese right now. <laughs> but it describes many small things gathered together and moving, such as a swarm of insects or a crowd of people seen from a distance. So this is the the idea of what an idiophone is. It's something that it stands out from other words, and it it's 
sort of a symbolic. Uh, well, all words are are symbolic, really, but it has it had it has some sort of sensory imagery to it. Often right. there's an idiomatic component. Sometimes there's um, reduplication involved, but it just has it gives you a general sense or feeling rather than having a specific definition necessarily. Yeah. So from the from the typological standpoint, idiophones are interesting because. Um, they're kind of unloved linguistically or have been in the past. They haven't got a lot of linguistic work on them because they, they are kind of weird. Um, they don't often don't fit into the grammar normally. So people are like, can we even talk about these things linguistically? Um, and it's kind of hard sometimes to get a real feel for what they're doing because they are so... Um, they can be they can describe quite a range of things but they're they're not uh, content bearing in the same way as like book or sneeze is they're describing a, the word is supposed to present sort of a holistic sensory thing which can be aroma appearance movement sounds all of these different things um can be um indicated with with idiophones um a language like english doesn't have too many of them hippity hoppity I guess counts. Um, some languages of Africa may have many thousands of idiophones, um, which uh, it it's, looks a little bit like it's kind of hard uh, to elicit <laughs> and get definition. Yeah, how do you how do you ask someone? Something for an idiophone. What do you do? Like you say, like how would you? What would you say if you saw something big and round and or whatever something? Yeah, something like yeah. that. It's kind of hard to figure out. I I would say, say. Right. So, why don't we just give a few examples of these from some languages, and people get an idea of the wide range. And then we can come back to the the the, the funky grammatical questions. Okay. That these 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 guys bring up. So I'm just going to ignore the English ones. Um, so so he, here's some from a language called Oroko, um, and I'm not going to try to pronounce these because I don't always know the the phonology of what's going on. But here's one that's bo, which means which describes the sound of a heavy branch falling, but be is a light branch falling, or you might have a bunch of idiophones related to movement in water. So, tsabu, tsabu means moving in shallow water. Tsubum, tsubum is moving in deep water. Um, those are that. that sound like onomatopoeia? Sure. So, and that's another thing that comes up is people often confuse them with mm -hmm. onomatopoeia. Because so far we've, we've talked about things that are related to sound. Yeah. However, if you go to a language like uh, limbum, um, they've got one that's beautiful, bop, bop, which describes something that has a suspicious appearance. <laughs> um, Nyang describes something or describes someone as being aloof. Um, hmm. let's see if I can pronounce this one. Nying-reng-ing-reng. Uh, describes somebody smiling hypocritically. Which seems like a useful word, right? So they cover a, a wide range of, of meanings. Some of them are related to sound. Some of them, as I've just mentioned, have nothing to do with sound at all. Mm -hmm. um, movement, motion, and posture are really common. Um, uh, have a, a lot of words for these. So here's the language Kolokuma. Um, has an entire set of idiophones for describing people who are walking um, unsteady. Yeah. So they've got one for people who are disoriented, one very usefully for people who are drunk, one for somebody who's walking on their tiptoes. So wait, this yeah. is disoriented from not drunkenness. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, no, they're, they're walking unsteadily. From non-drunkenness. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there seems to be some sort of sound symbolism, but 
that's just my general sense of it. You'd have to right. You'd have to actually study it to actually be certain that that it is that way. But so the 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 guy we've talked about before, this this Dutch linguist, um, has a, a a not very recent blog post about Daniel Temet, who you may have heard of. He's um, a high functioning autistic savant. Uh-huh. Um, who's famous for learning Icelandic to a conversational level in a week or two and freaking out the Icelanders who like to think they have the hardest language ever. <laughs> right, he went on TV. So he wrote a book um, about sort of his life and, and how he sees things because he, you know, if you present him the digits of pi with a mistake, he, he finds it um, – Apparently, has a strong physical negative reaction to even seeing that. He thinks it's appalling that people would treat that number that way. So he's trying to explain how his mind works. And in his book, he gave an example of an idiophone Mm -hmm. and presented it as a question about sound symbolism. And and the quote from the book is, Does the adjective pambala in the Siwu language of Africa describe a round, fat person or an angular, thin person? Sounds like round, fat. Exactly. Everyone is going to do that. But the great thing is, is there's no such word in Siwu. He screwed up, he screwed up his example, but it, it, it makes the point of this sound symbolism that this the Dutch linguist is interested in, which is people, all humans, will, will mostly make the same judgment on these sound symbolism things. Yes. And that's the They actually had thing. the more classic one. Um, I think it's like ikiki versus umbu or whatever sure. that I think they tested, and they had it on QI here, and I found it interesting. Actually, one of the persons said that the iki or whatever it is actually sounded like the round one, and I was like, "What? Are you insane?" <laughs> that mm. is highly typologically unlikely. Yeah, I was you like, I've never had anyone tell me that because I've you know, ask my parents and stuff for kicks. I think that was the first time I ever saw someone say it the opposite way around. <laughs> That's odd. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it that way either. Um So so some languages that have idiophones do have single syllable ones where it's not obvious what's going on necessarily mm. with the symbolism and, and and like any sort of language situation, you know, there's no. So I'm looking at a list of examples here from Tarok. The word bar should. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about that to me that particularly describes the sound of sucking porridge. <laughs> yeah, that's what that means. Yeah. Or what's another one here? Uh, can I make this noise? Dakzarak, which describes something small but beautiful. Yeah, that actually does not sound like small. Right. So small so is... it's still we don't want to get too hung up on the sound symbolism that obviously plays a role. Mhm. Um but there's still the, the normal arbitrary relationship between sound and signified still applies to these as as it does in in other vocabulary. Yeah. I'm trying to think of so what would you um I guess we'll get into the the weird grammatic grammar aspect in a second, but I want to say, what would you suggest if somebody wanted to add idiophones into a language? What kind of phonological ideas do you think would be best to add into that? Um, Well, even though I've just poo-pooed it, obviously sound symbolism plays a role. Front high vowels have imply different things than back vowels, um, and pretty naturally, sibilants are pretty common. Anything having to do with wind or water. Um, from a lot of the examples you've heard, there's an element of reduplication, and it doesn't have to be pure just repeating the word over and over again. That can happen, as we heard in the Japanese examples. Um, Something like bori bori, which is supposed to describe things that are soft. That's very common. But you can also have these um, sort of patterns of reduplication 
um, like Higgly Piggly. This or, is a very Englishy type thing. Sure, hippity hoppity, right? Where you have hippity hoppity, itty bitty. Right, exactly, exactly that. Where you have part of the word being reduplicate, uh, being repeated, whereas some other feature is changing, um, either at the beginning or the end or whatever. If your language has tone, you might do all sorts of fun things with that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you could you could do some fun stuff with tone. Um, uh, these. For idiophones that have reduplication, the, mm-hmm. the the thing about idiophones is they are most common for obvious reasons because they're descriptive in narrative contexts mm-hmm. when you're describing things. Consequently, your reduplicated syllable may be repeated many, many times to, to keep, you know, to, to, to emphasize the point you're making. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. it's funny you say that now because I think hippity hoppity and itty bitty just come from kids' stories. Exactly. <laughs> and bippity boppity boo. Exactly. <laughs> um, what's another one? Wishy washy is maybe less hocus pocus. All these things. Um, so I think that's it for. The, I mean, if you do a Google search on idiophones and start looking at some of and hit the links on PDFs because those will be journal articles and, and scholarly things. You can just get giant lists of these things and you can uh, get a feel for the, the sounds yeah. um, and, and the different kinds of uh, meanings that can attach to them. And um, you say get a feel for and I think that's probably the really good a really good um, thing to say is that you need to you, you can't really be thinking too hard when you're making these up. Uh, well, I mean, you can do some planning, but yeah, I, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, working it out and just blabbling away to yourself will probably um, could could be quite productive. Yeah, just just saying some nonsense words. I with even the, just with the with the the proper phonotactics. Yeah. Probably going to do it fine. And can oh, adiophones sometimes break phonotactics too? Yeah, sometimes they break the, the normal rules of a, of a language. Okay. Um, Bianca, you were going to say something? Well, I was going to say, if you're trying to create them, I'd go the story route. So do a story. Absolutely. And eventually you'll come to the point where sometimes the description of something is better done in a more symbolic way. In fact, it was me dreading doing another translation of the sun and the north wind that inspired me to add idiophones to one language. Oh, really? I wanted, I, I wanted to come up with words to describe the wind blowing and the the poor hapless guy walking down the street and all of that. Oh, okay. That's great. Um, yeah. Describing a guy walking down the street while the, the the sun and the north wind are looking at him. That's a, right. Right. Um, yeah, you can do one for the wind, one for the sunshine, <laughs> and and um, one for the guy and his behavior and his flapping coat. Oh yeah, there's. Um, oh dear, I'd forgotten about these. And <laughs> uh, what about the weird grammatical things? Is there anything interesting really to talk about there? There is. is the, there is. There is. So. It used to be thought that idiophones were completely outside the normal syntax of a language. Mm-hmm. And in a few languages, they are. You just say these things, they go into the narrative, but they don't, they're not conjugated, they're not verbs, they're not nouns, they're not adjectives. They're just thrown in in part of the narrative to, to sort of add color and description to what's going on. It turns out that this is not true, that they do not ever slot in. Some languages use them as adjectives. Sometimes they're derived from uh, adjectives, or there's some sort of relationship going on there that we don't know about. Um, Typically, if you want to use them in a more complex way than just using them, you know, just using them uh, as color, they'll be combined with a few simple verbs. You either do the idiophone, or you say the idiophone, or sometimes you even go the idiophone, which I find very interesting because of how people use 
go in English when talking about people saying things in English in quick narratives. Right? Mm, and then okay. he went, what are you talking about? He didn't go anywhere, but it's but it's a it's a go is a funny way to mark a direct quote, but yet here it is showing up in in languages other than English. That's interesting. So, and, and sometimes and sometimes they can be used kind of as as stative verby things. So they they kind of inflect, but wait, so they'll, like they'll inflect. How would they kind of verby? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's that's the thing I w wanted to be. I was curious about because it doesn't seem like something like this would inflect at all. Um, right. But if if you wanted to say, and then he, you know, made this noise, um, you could just use that idiophone with the with some sort of verb marking to locate it in time. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, I, think, I think that's unusual, though. The impression I get is mostly they float along on their own, or they're very simply locked in with do verbs or say verbs. Huh, okay. That's uh, very interesting to me that, like, you can just, you, you could incorporate them in the grammar. To me, it seems like there there's somewhat of a gray area probably there. Sure. That you have many choices available to you, all of which can be justified by some natural language somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, you guys, you need to get out there and put some idiophones in your languages. If, if there is a conling out there that uses them heavily, I would love to hear about it, because I could never find one. Yeah, find... Find us one, listeners, or if you have one that has a lot of video phones, tell us about it. Yeah. And other people, think about this. It's an interesting thing to add in. You don't need it. Maybe one or two would be a good idea, but uh, you don't need to have heavy video phones, but it's an interesting uh, concept to try out. I would love to see a conlang with hundreds of them. <laughs> I definitely want to add a couple now. Mm -hmm. Sure. Having a couple is quite common. It's these languages that have hundreds or even thousands of them that are more unusual and would make for an interesting conlang since no one's done that before. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we move on to our featured conlang, which has nothing to do with idiophones. <laughs> because there are none. Only yeah, mine. it has, it has no idiophones. Uh, let me get the... the, the stuff up. I, I found it on Frathwiki. I don't know if he has his own website anywhere, but um, Old Albic, also known as Albirin, uh, it's created by Jürg uh, Riemeyer. I can't do German names. Jürg Riemeyer. And uh, so, the whole concept behind this language is that uh, old Albic speakers are pre-Celtic inhabitants of the British Isles, and that they inspired elf myths about elves. So, they're elves, but not actually elves. Right. They're elves, but... Um... You hemorrhized. Uh-huh. But one thing that strikes me in so much of this stuff is that for being pre-Celtic inhabitants, this language is awfully Indo-European <laughs> in many ways. Like, it, some parts are not. Yeah, some parts, some are, parts definitely are definitely not. not. But it has masculine, feminine, and neuter gender. It has... Ooh, only marginally, though. Mm, okay. I mean, from, from the standpoint of grammatical, it's animate versus inanimate. It simply has gender distinguishable for critters where it applies. Oh, okay. Mm, okay, so maybe I, I was a little wrong about that. Uh, it does have singular, dual, and plural. And it has... The case system is not entirely 
uh, Indo-European, the way it works. Uh, but um, and it has it has umlaut and ablaut, which Yay. I don't know, you know. Hey, ablaut is definitely both both of these, but definitely ablaut is common all over the well, not common, but it pops up all over the place. Okay. Ablaut's fun. Ablaut is what fun. about this, these, these fun tactics where you can have up to CCVCC? This is pretty. But the, they're not entirely because you can have nasals in there and such. Uh, um, but it's. I find it interesting mainly because of the conceit behind it that these are these are the elves but they're actually entirely human well that's um uh, certainly other people anthropologists even and not just you um this Alexandrian dude about two millennia ago called Euhemerus also suggested that all of these stories of the gods and mystical creatures um, are have motivation in stories about either remarkable humans or different kinds of humans. Mm-hmm. So elves and, and dwarves are just pre-Indo-European inhabitants. Possibly. Sure. Um, I'm not sure I believe it, but it's it's a well-known idea. So let's let's get into some different things about the language. So we talked a little bit about the phonology and um. I'm trying to. Piece well, hold together. on, hold don't on. Don't have enough examples in here. To I think come. for me the most interesting part when I was going through the phonology is that he does a lot of things by features rather than the typical way you see it on conlanging things. Um, what are they called? I guess he calls them autosemantal features, which I'm going to presume is the technical term because I forget it now. Which I like to see because it's interesting to me at least. Yeah. You can but it's not that common and quite yeah. often it's it can using, be more simply done. Features. Yeah, that's that's um well at least he mentions that with vowels and in his outblout, I didn't see yeah. He does he does that and that's interesting. That's slightly more advanced technology than a lot of people get into. That's why I think you don't see it as much. And, like, when I was going through my allophony, or not allophony, when I was going through some of the processes in my languages, I kind of went through the same thing, but I never actually went through explaining it with the features just because I don't think that many conlangers go into phonology in that respect just because it's, I don't think it's that important in the conlanging world. Yeah. But I was happy to see it. Um. Very very quickly. Yes. Uh, C for K. No. There's nothing wrong with C for K. <laughs> it's the fact that C is a bitch letter. <laughs> okay. Anyway, wait, let's not have this argument again. But uh, I'm just saying <laughs> we don't need to do this every week. Yeah. Um. But uh, he had. I was. I found something in, about his. Um, it was it the aspect system, or something. Well, it uh, it's fluid S language. He, yeah, which is nifty. So yeah. uh, this That's, is in in the last episode where we talked about what do you do about intransitive verbs. Um, some of them like right. So in a nominative accusative language, active or um, intransitive verbs are just marked like normal subjects, and then. It, Ergative, absolutive, they're marked like direct objects. And in, a, in an active stative situation, the kind of action that the intransitive marks will be marked differently. So one where the agent is involved or there's a high degree of agency like walk or run, then it's marked the same way as a transitive verb. And if it's something like sleep or fall over where there's a low degree of control, then it's marked as... Um, uh, direct object or intransitives. Yeah. And the case system in, in general is very interesting in that he has an abs, agent, agentative stem and an objective stem. And then 
the other cases are formed at, out of that, but only only animate nouns have an agentative. Correct. So <laughs> well, there's sure. there's some cases you can't actually use with an inanimate. And and that is is quite normal in in a language like Blackfoot. I cannot say the knife cut the bread because an in a semantically inanimate thing cannot ever be the subject of a transitive verb. Wow. Okay. You have, you have to say someone cut the bread with a knife. Okay. So that's that's uh, a little well. It's for something that looks vaguely European, that's completely bizarre. But yeah, in terms of um, languages on this planet, that's not unusual. Yeah. Uh, about my saying it looking Indo-European, on the surface it looks Indo-European. But then when you did look into the grammar more closely, it has these really weird effects in it. Yes. Uh-huh. So, like, uh, you have that, the, the animacy in the case system, uh, let me see, um, Adjectives uh, are um, agree with masculine, feminine, and and uh, which is fairly Indo-European. But they there's like a separate one for inanimate, and there's separate dual and plural agreement. Um, not that interesting. It has exclusive and in inclusive we. Uh, I don't know. Bianca, nope. have you seen anything interesting? You? Hmm. Uh, it wasn't anything that stuck at me as that interesting. Um, it does have middle voice, which it's yes. not that common, I don't think. Yeah, middle voice is um, not a big, a very common thing. Uh, <laughs> William knows what middle voice is because ancient Greek has it, but I don't. Right, think ancient Greek, Sanskrit, some of the old Norse languages. Um, um, he has it, it a, pops up. It pops up in other ways, but get the. He the, actually has a fairly complicated verb complex, and he also has active versus stative in verbs. Right. Um, I would love to see more examples of conjugated verbs. One, I must yeah, be honest. In general, and this may be a function of the information I found on it, I maybe should have uh, contacted Yurg because he, I'm sure he has a grammar somewhere. But this Frathwicky article has no no examples to speak with. Well, of. it has some examples, just I would like more. Yeah, which makes it very difficult to really get a handle handle on some things. So, just like with our previous episode, he does all sorts of fun trickery with cases to indicate. Um, we're, we're back to the question of agency and volition. So, for example, verbs of perception and emotion normally take a dative subject. Again, we have another one of these. Huh. The subject, however, can be put in the agentive case to express an act of deliberate observation rather than cursory perception. Uh -huh. So the difference between the man sees the dog and the man watches the dog, for example. Which yes. I like that. I like I like that idea that you you use case to make that distinction rather than uh, lexical. Right. Um, and that seems to be. I think there's some sort of trend among conlangers to care about that suddenly a lot. We have these things, these little fads that come across the Conlanger world and everyone has to play with it for a while before moving on and then it's sort of well integrated. <laughs> Maybe the new one will be idiophones. Maybe the new one will be idiophones. That'd be awesome if we, if we did that. So <laughs> when I first discovered the mailing lists, um, trigger languages were all the rage. Mm -hmm. And then ergativity suddenly overtook everyone. And right now, it seems like people are really interested in um, argument structure and cases to do all sorts of subtle semantic things. So, for example, we've got 
we got Okuna, which we talked last time. Old Albic is doing this. Um, although I don't know how long it's been in this state. Maybe it's old news. Um, uh, what's the big one? Dothraki does some uh-huh. funky things um, with with cases, too. So We have to feature Dothraki sometimes. Yeah, well, when, when we can see more about it, then maybe we can. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it does... The That's... Um, it's interesting to see those things come up. I I remember, I I I started Iruyo when ergativity was all the rage, uh-huh. and I made just a straight, normal ergative. And then wait, when wait. I typed up my grammar and I showed it on the board, somebody's like, "Oh, ergativity is so boring when you <laughs> have basic." So. Uh, I so edited it a little bit. You should have bit. done a mixed ergative with a completely bizarre trigger for the switch between nominative accusative and ergativity. Yeah, well, what what I ended up was uh, changing it a little bit and accidentally turning it into a fluid S system. So, <laughs> Which uh, is more in vogue now. Yeah, but it's 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 fine with with a little case weirdness, but um, yeah. I'm going to have to put that up now. I would love to hear some sound samples of old Albic. It seems like my... I'm it, sure there are some out there. Yeah, I'm anyone sure who invents a language which they associate with elves, I expect to be preoccupied with phone aesthetics, and, and sometimes I like to hear those languages. Uh, you know, it kills me. I know you're the elf hater, but like elf languages, the way they sound, I'm just like... Usually they tend to get into that mushy like Tolkien-esque thing and I'm just uh-huh. like this doesn't sound good it just sounds like fuzz and mush the sounds like mold and moss that's what it sounds like <laughs> that's exactly right it's supposed to sound like the moss of the forest yeah well for their giant trees yeah um, just... yeah that can get a little crazy sometimes uh huh yeah and because every... they tend to fall like Proximity and yeah, they're, yeah. they're very thing. melodious languages usually. Well, except then you get Quenya, which is very Latin-like, despite its Finnish grammar. <laughs> so I think more people go with the Sindarin mushy feel. I don't know. Lenition everywhere, Lenition for all my consonants, um, <laughs> rather than the the, the Quenya stuff. No, uh, can be since, cool. since these since these guys aren't actually elves in the pointy ear, haughty and annoying sense, I I survive. Yes. <laughs> uh, I want more examples. I want yes, more I want glosses. More examples. more glosses. More examples would make us all happy. Uh, okay. The his pH is actually a it's a, actually a labial dental. I was looking for that. Uh, yeah. No IPA in the actual chart, but he has IPA in some of the descriptions. Yeah, that was also annoying me. I think. That's a, yeah, this was the one that I wrote a note for. I was like, "There's no IPA here." <laughs> um, when clearly he must know about it because he did the whole segmental features thing, and then like the whole thing just skips on it. I'm like, "Oh, okay." Um, but anyway. Uh, I think we can sum this up as uh, starts out looking like a regular elvish language, uh, and then but blows your mind. Yeah, and then <laughs> well, yeah, I don't you know if my at, mind was blown, but it has more intrigue than you'd think it would. There's not enough information for my mind to be blown yet, but it it has some interesting stuff when you dig into it. Yep, I need to find a better presentation of it somewhere. Um. And hopefully that's out there somewhere, and I just failed to find it. But um, oh yeah, this hasn't been edited in over a year. Yeah, why don't we find? Um, why don't we move on to our feedback? <laughs> oh, we got feedback while we were talking because while you were talking about idiophones, the stupid Swedes were talking about me in Swedish, and I was like, this is just cruel, because I know I'm recording now, so I obviously can't <laughs> while I'm listening to you guys. But anyway, they said Conlangry was the highlight of the week. Oh, awesome. 
Yay. Okay. So we have that. Um, uh, I might, I might quickly mention there was a, a vibrant discussion on the, uh, on the Conlang, um, list. William, you were part of that, right? Oh, yes. Where? Yes. So one of the, the guy who wanted to come up what Bianca should mean in his language. Yeah. His, <laughs> got it's... moved to the Conlang L list. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people didn't know who you were. They're like, what's going on? I don't understand. But it was a funny discussion. It's, uh, it ends I up being. I didn't see what, this. Bia- Bianca is the word. And he eventually came up with, uh, apparently, he's going to use it as a word for cur- curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the best one. Yes. <laughs> uh, but we have one other feedback. We got an email from a guy named uh, Gildoff. That must I'm not be sure a... if that's his real name, but he's from Australia. Just uh, like the email. Okay, he says, hey... I've just started listening to your podcast, and since I've started to listen to your podcast, I've significantly simplified lols, paradox, oxymoron, the aspects of my of the language to just two aspects, and all others are implied by lexicon. Uh, however, I'm not too sure about the perfect and imperfect aspect on the present tense, along with tenses and aspects on imperatives. Uh-huh. Could you help me out a bit there? I don't want to mess with my verb grammar until I work out that out a, l- a bit more. Okay. So let's... He, he still talks more, but let's interrupt here for that. In languages that are aspect-obsessed, you can have perfective and imperfective imperatives. Okay. And it means the same thing. Typically, a Imperfective imperative means that you're telling someone to do something that will take a long time or to keep doing something or that it will go on for a while. Mm-hmm. And a perfective um, imperative is a simple act. Do it. Yeah. Okay. And there might be there might be funny pragmatics with the perfective implying you want it done instantly, and the imperfective saying, "Oh, you could do it in the future." Right. So there's there's different tricks that can be done there, but it it basically is the same thing. Okay. The act, um, as far as he said, tenses and aspects, I would say don't mess with tense on imperatives because it's generally <laughs> in the future. Uh, no mm-hmm. present. Go ahead, Bianca. I don't know where you would put the tense on an imperfect or on um imperative. It just seems icky. Some languages distinguish a present imperative from do it now from a future imperative, which is do it at some undefined point in the future. Okay. That's silly. Just do it now. Get it over with. <laughs> well, right. so no, some no, languages no. permit um one to uh, get For orders that allow <laughs> procrastination. Yes. Okay. So basically, what we're saying is, uh. You know what William said about perfect and imperfect, and uh, and then so tenses. the other thing he was worried about was the present tense. Yeah, that's really weird. Um, I okay. mentioned on the show that I think Bulgarian does have an imperfective and a perfective present, but the perfective present actually means the future. And I guess there's like Chechen or some other language that does the same thing, but most languages do not mark the present that way. I think that's a true statement. Okay. I don't know. I should email the one Bulgarian I know. Here's what I would say then to that is that if you do do that, perfect and imperfect on present, then make it so that it has some odd pragmatic meaning other, that's not really connected to like what you said with perfective being future. Stuff like sure. that. That sounds sounds like a good way to do it. Um, okay. This email goes on, so I'm going to go. So I'm going to continue reading. Also, I could I could appreciate it if you make a podcast on grammatical voices. I try to avoid voices mostly because I view them as pointless. How do I do this? 
Well, I use a person called the fourth person or zero person. This translates roughly into one person, people, someone, etc. and extracts the object of the sentence and makes makes a never mentioned common person. This makes the sentence, the deer was seen by the hunter, literally, the deer seen by someone. Uh, no, it isn't unnatural to look at Finnic languages. But anyway, I was wondering if you could help me out with the first part and bow down to my awesomeness with the fourth zero person contract. I'm not going to bow down to your awesomeness. Because, I think um, you should bow down to our awesomeness. I did I did a fourth person once in a hotline. I have a fourth it's, person. It's, yeah, but I'm not sure if what you're doing is a like, fourth person. Yeah. It may just be an indefinite pronoun of some kind. Bianca, go ahead. What? No. Were you going to I say something else? No. So I'm not going to bow down because calling it a fourth person is very confusing. Because typically, when somebody has something called a fourth person, it is not an indefinite. The way you're you're using it here, um, typically, a fourth person is uh, when it's basically just another third person, but it lets you keep. If you're talking about two different things, it lets you keep them straight. So your third person is for whatever issue is most relevant, and your fourth person is for the, the less relevant topic, but still needs to be referenced by pronouns. Um, but yeah, everything else you're talking about using a, uh, a placeholder pronoun to indicate the passive voice is, is common enough. Um, maybe we should do a show about voices sooner rather than later, because the voices are not pointless. Yeah, not um, to not voices. voices are are a big thing. I've been debating whether or not I need an anti-passive in Ayuruyo. I need to think about that. Uh, so the passives and the anti-passives and all of that are all about how you organize the discourse and keeping the thing that's most important at the front of your mind. Okay, we can we can talk about that in a show, but they're not pointless. They serve a very useful point. And things that you were told by your English teacher about how it sounds weak or flimsy. BS. Yeah, it's the, don't, don't believe anything it. you heard about uh, uh, about um, passive it, voice in in, in it English. It drives class. me nuts. It's absolute piss. Don't, also, also, don't listen to uh, words grammar checker when it tells you to revise passive voice. Passive voice is lovely. Because. Sometimes I don't think it even correctly identifies passive voice. Well, that's common, right? This happens to letters to the editor all the time where people piss and moan about, see, now even I'm swearing. Um, people complain about the passive but have incorrectly identified some other structure as the passive. But anyway, uh, I'm just going to say this guy closed his letter. He said, thank you for your time. Good to be with ye, which is apparently now apparently a goodbye. I've never heard that etymology, but... Uh, and it's from Australia, Gilaw. And he says, if you say good day in reply or in a fu future podcast, I will stab you in the face. Well, Gildoff, you can't stab me in the face, so good day, mate! <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I actually, I'll stab you in the face. <laughs> if you, William does have a greater chance of stabbing yeah, in the he, face. Yeah, he, 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 he has an easier time getting to West Virginia, but I I might really have care. before I moved. But you're in luck now. <laughs> you could have just driven here. I could have. That's how I got there before when we were talking about our West Virginia geography. <laughs> All right. So, yes, I like the idea of us talking about voice. Voice would be a good topic. There's yeah, a lot you can do, do with it as well. One and... Uh, especially, I really want to hear what William has to say because he knows about middle voice, <laughs> which is something I am very confused about. I feel like middle voice is another one of those things that varies from language to language quite a bit. Yep. Probably. Yep. It's, it's mushy. The mushy things tend to be the more problematic ones. Um, yeah. 
Well, uh, we'll plan to do a voice episode sometime in the future. Probably after we go after um, actual case marking, because, like I mentioned, anti-passive, you know, it, it interacts with case marking because in an nominative-accusative languages, you can have a passive, and an ergative-absolutive language can have an anti-passive, and they... George, I'm afraid to report that turns out to be yes, to be BS. Oh, Lots really? of lots of nominative accusative languages that do in fact actually have an antipassive. Really? Yeah, not as many, but the idea that it's rare in them is turns out to be bogus. That seems bizarre. We can I'll save to... that for another episode. We'll have dun, to dun, we'll dun. have to talk about how how you can have something that that promotes an agent in a language that already does it. But anyway. As long as we don't touch, what the hell did I do in my grammar class that drove me absolutely nuts? Unaccusative and unargative. Oh. oh. <laughs> Killed me. Are Killed you me. serious? That yes. sounds interesting. They are weird it, concepts to get a hold of, but yeah, it, for episode two. <laughs> okay. Well, and they were mucked down in some other fun grammar test and the fact that my professor for that was an absolute troll <sighs> probably okay. didn't help. Well, uh, let's say um, any parting words of wisdom? Bianca. I don't... Make... What? I never have wisdom. I don't know anything. <laughs> okay. William? Make idiophones. Put them in your conlang. And send it to us. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well then, happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at Conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304-873-6281. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Medeus. Bow down to our awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs>